All right. Good morning, church. Happy summer. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're going to jump into things. If you are still in the clog back there to get a bagel or coffee or tea, uh, then uh, take your time. You're not going to bother us. If you're a guest, family member, visitor, we want you to feel at home here. So if you need uh, a cup of coffee or some tea or another bagel any time throughout the sermon, make your way around the room at, at, at your leisure. We don't ever want you to feel like you have to just stay seated. So enjoy yourself. We want you to feel at home. Uh, again, graduates, unbelievably excited uh, for you in uh, your next journey. And like we talked about during uh, your congratulatory uh, time, uh, this morning's message is certainly for all of us because we've been in this series of First John, studying the, um, the, the epistle of First John. And it brings us to First John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or you want to turn those on, uh, on your electronic device, go ahead and do that. Uh, so it's certainly at a time where we're just following the sermon series as we go, um, but it is also, this is a message that is really uh, kind of tools, not just for students, but all of us uh, to be able to interact with the world around us, to have conversations and, and, and to have some understanding of, of this world around us. And so we're going to be uh, jumping into that. I uh, want to remind you that next Sunday, June 3rd, we do have an all-church potluck here uh, after the service. And so if, uh, if you'd love to join us for that, we'd love to have you. Uh, I know we've got some parties. Uh, people have some parties going on afterwards. We'll start right at 1130 and it, it won't be too long, but we would love for you to help us by bringing some main dishes and some sides and all that. We'll provide drinks and paper goods, uh, but if we can all bring something, you can show up early. We'll flood the kitchen with all of our stuff. We'll fit as many things in uh, the refrigerator as uh, humanly possible. We also have a few ovens uh, that we can warm some things up. But uh, we're doing an all-church potluck time uh, next week immediately after the service. And the only uh, point is uh, to just have time together. Uh, and so we'd love for you to join us uh, at that. So with that said, students... From the very beginning, over 2,000 years ago, there have been questions about uh, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the claims and the teachings, uh, and those that follow him have been attacked. And so when you go uh, off to college, uh, middle school students, when you get to high school, don't be surprised if there's an attack on faith, if there's an attack on the scriptures, on, on what has been taught. The Apostle John uh, that wrote this epistle, he also wrote the Gospel of John and he wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, but in this uh, case, the Apostle John is writing to the churches, plural, all throughout the regions. It's not written to a specific church. He's writing to all these churches throughout the region, but he's also writing to address culture. Now that's different. It would be one thing if, if I send an email to you as Rock Creek Church family, that would be a very direct uh, email to you. If I were to address culture and send it to you, you're receiving that email from me, but it also is for culture uh, at large. And that's the case with uh, this epistle of which John writes to both the churches and to cultures. And, and he's addressing what many false teachers have brought into the discussion, and that is that Jesus Christ could not have been God. 
Jesus is not Christmas. He's not Easter. He's not what the church says he is. In fact, you can come to the Father in some other ways. It's not just on Jesus. God couldn't become man. God wouldn't become man, fully man and fully God in one person. And so these teachers are, are delivering this message, not just to culture, because remember back then, different than what we have now, culture at large understood the scriptures. Culture at large understood at least in part theology. So you and I might talk about some things that are biblically relevant in today's times in this room, but the culture at large probably isn't paying attention to that. Very different in Bible times. Even if you weren't in the church or following Christ, you still stayed up on what the church taught. And so the culture is saying there's absolutely no way that couldn't have happened. It didn't Happen. And this morning, I want to look at what John says in light of that opposition, in light of the opposition that you might face, maybe in your workplace or at your university or with friends and family at a 4th of July occasion or uh, any, any instance in your life. But then I also want to address some very current objections that we all face on a regular basis, certainly those that call themselves Christ followers. So I want to I address those very, very specifically. And then I want to give you a tool or two on how to address that, how to have conversation in love with the people around you. So let's begin. If you have your Bibles in uh, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. It's also here on the screen. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Alex talked about this not too long ago. Uh, during his message, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in this world. Now, I just want to stop here before we continue. We're going to go through verse uh, six, but I just want to stop here very briefly before we keep going. Notice John's response to the objection is his ability and his intention to look behind what the objection is. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about Bible. We're going to talk a little bit about theology. And for some of you philosophy nerds, we're going to talk a little bit about philosophy this morning. So I want you to stick with me as much as you uh, possibly can. John doesn't just look at the objection. He looks to the motives and to the things that are driving the objection. He looks behind that, if you would. And for here, what John's doing is he's not just looking at the objection. He's looking to Jesus's incarnation. He's looking at, at Jesus coming into this world and being fully man and fully God. And he says, it's the Spirit's. 
And to us in Western civilization, in our Western world, when we talk about the spirits, or if you would, the spiritual realm, or, or the world of principalities, that can get a little bit scary for us, or it can feel a little bit weird. It's not something that we talk about too often, it's something that, that we can't really grasp, and so we just kind of leave it alone. Because in the West, we tend to, both in the church and outside of the church, we tend to focus primarily on what's physical, what's material, what's tangible, something that we can feel and touch and see and experience and wrestle with. Even if we don't agree with it, we can still see it and experience it. And so we don't tend to go there in regards to the spirits. And John is shouting to us, saying, no, 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 no. Don't disregard this spiritual world. When he's writing here, he's saying behind the physical world, very, very closely behind a very thin sheet of this physical world is a spiritual world, which is just as real. And so test the spirits. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. Most of us as humans are intuitively aware of the spiritual realm. Most of us can uh, walk around life, go out on a hike and, and experience the, the highs and lows of life and realize there's something going on. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, most will say that there's, there's something going on in this world around us. But most of us don't know what to do with it. And so we focus on those circumstances. And John says, behind every single teacher, and really one could extrapolate this to say, behind every single person on this planet, there is a spirit behind them. And that spirit is either God being truth or Satan, which we'll find later on is described as false. In other words, John is affirming the existence of a spiritual world, and he is saying that we must take that world seriously. That's why we pray over our kids when they're getting ready to go to class. That's why we pray over our grads as they're getting ready to go into the world as, quote, adults, because we realize that this spiritual world is very, very real. It's just as real as the physical world. All right, so let's continue. We'll, we'll pick it up here uh, at verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? Amen. They are from the world and therefore speak from the point, viewpoint of the world. And, and the world listens to them. And I, would even, I, I wouldn't add to Scripture, but I will throw this caveat. They have a very powerful and loud voice in this world, in our culture. But we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is very real stuff. This is not just biblical jargon that we kind of teach in church or a class that we would maybe teach. This is real life things that you all as adults face on a regular basis and you students, you kids face on a regular basis. And now there's a lot that could be said about just this passage alone, but what I want to do is I want to reveal just one single thing about this passage. Look with me at verse 4. This particular verse reveals 
one of the greatest promises of Christianity. This reveals one of the greatest hopes of your faith. If you believe in Jesus Christ, even though the world denies him, and even though Satan and his goons do everything that he or they can to disrupt God's work in this world, if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, which came to indwell you permanently, that moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, which is in you, is infinitely greater than he who is in this world. I just want to sit on that for just a moment. For those of us who, who say, man, Jesus is Lord. I've given my life to Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Uh, I want to be identified by him. I want to be saved by him. I want to spend eternity with him. The Holy Spirit, which is indwelt in you, is infinitely greater than the one the scripture says rules this physical world. Now, I want to, I want to encourage you when it hits, and maybe it already has, or maybe it will happen today or next week or next year. But in your darkest moments, I want you to believe that. In your darkest, most difficult times of despair, I want you to believe this. I want you to read it over and over and over, and I want you to take faith in it. When you feel guilty, when your circumstances aren't quite working out very well, when life's not quite going the way that you thought it would or, or maybe that you anticipated that it would, certainly not maybe what you planned when, when circumstances are hard, when life isn't going your way, when, when things aren't fair, we hear fair quite a bit. And whether we like it or not, we, we tend to emotionally or mentally, we, we define what's fair and what's not. When life's not fair for you or for your loved ones, when you see evil around you, I want you to claim 1 John 4, 4. The one who is in me is greater than he who is in this world. If it needs to be a mantra that you paste on your bathroom mirror and your kitchen cabinets and your dashboard in your car, that truth combats the lies and the deception and the punches and the kicks of the enemy in the spiritual realm. And because of this truth, I, you, will overcome. Because of this truth, we will overcome. And this overcoming is born out of the fact of he who is inside you. It's not, you're not going to overcome because you're tough. You're not going to overcome because you're super smart. You're not going to overcome because you'll just decide to. You will overcome because he who is inside you, the Holy Spirit, is stronger, infinitely greater than he who is in this world. Do not let your circumstances define you. Because often the circumstances are lies. So let's keep moving. 
I want to look at the first objection John is referring to, and it's found in verse 2. And I want to draw your attention to this language. You'll see this on the screen that John uses. He refers to Jesus as what? The Christ. Good. It's on the screen. You can just shout it. You, you can be confident with that. The answers, it's like when the teacher gives you the answers to the test. The, he, ref, he, he refers to Jesus as the Christ, not Jesus the man, not Jesus a pretty good guy, not, not Jesus a prophet, not Jesus a Bible teacher, not even as a pastor. He refers to him as the Christ. That is a statement of deity. When you have conversations with friends at school or at the university or, or neighbors and you're sitting around having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine during the summer and theology comes up, you'd be surprised how often God and theology come up in general conversations and they say, well, nowhere is it defined that Jesus was actually God. This is the deity. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And John boldly proclaims that Jesus is not just the Son of God, he is God the Son, incarnate, entering into our world. And it makes all the difference to us. And then he goes on to say that Jesus came in the flesh, fully man, fully God. And so what we have here in verse 2 is complete man and complete deity found in a single person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. And then if we were to drop down to verse 6, John says how a person views Christ reveals whether that person is guided by the spirit of truth or the spirit of falsehood. We've been talking kind of throughout this series on, well, how do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're a Christ follower? How are you supposed to know these things? Depending on how you view Christ tells us, we're told by John to test the spirits. If you do not believe Jesus is who he said he is, you are guided by the spirit of falsehood. If you believe Jesus is the Christ, is God incarnate, is the son of man who has come to die for our sins, you are guided by the Spirit, capital S, there's only one, of truth. This is foundational. And I will say this, and, th and, and this, is a, this is a sobering fact, and I, and I take no pleasure in saying this. But there are families all around us, all over these counties, in your schools, at your workplaces, there are families all around us that are being guided by the spirit of falsehood. They look good. The families look good. The marriages look good. But they are being guided by the spirit of falsehood. And maybe... Maybe it's been there for generations. Maybe this is you for your family. Maybe your family, as you look back on your heritage growing up and past generations, you can look back and go, man, love those people, but they were absolutely guided by falsehood. They were not guided by the truth. Maybe this was your family. Maybe you are the first to shatter that lineage. 
Maybe you are the first to shift from a spirit of falsehood that had dominated your family for centuries, and you are the first generation Christian in your family. Or maybe you are the second generation, and if that's you, I want you to know that greater is the one that is in you than the one who is in this world. It might seem lonely at times. You might feel ostracized. You might feel difficulty. Greater is the one who is in you than he who is in this world. Believe that. Stay strong in that truth. Lean into God. Don't run from him. And if you are feeling beat down, if you're feeling exhausted, if you're feeling lost or brokenhearted, if you're worried or confused or irritated or abused, know that greater is the one who is in you than he who is in this world. If you're lost for direction and looking for guidance and you just don't know what tomorrow provides, greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Your abilities are limitless. You have unbelievable power within you. And so that's the first part of God's message for us this morning. And, and if that was something you needed to hear, I pray that, that God take that in and allow it to take root in your heart and then grow. Why? Because life can be hard and the enemy is really good about beating us down. So that's the first part. But now I want to move on to a couple of modern day objections. What do you do when people make statements, hurtful statements, cutting statements that hurt your faith? That say you're wasting your time, that Jesus isn't the way, that, that all you need to be is good, that, that there are every way leads to heaven and, and just pound on you and your faith. What are you supposed to do with that? And John's statement flies in the face of two main objections. Trust me, I don't need you to tell me after this service. There are a ton of objections, but we don't have hours, okay? I'm sure you guys want to get on to lunch. There are a ton of objections that we could address here, but I just want to focus our attention on two main ones that culture suggests. The first one is that Christianity is crazy. It's judgmental. It's out of touch. It's not true because we know that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Christians are crazy. There's absolutely no such thing as an absolute, let alone an absolute in faith and for eternity. College students, you're getting ready to go to college. You are going to hear this both indirectly and directly on a regular basis, both in and outside of a Christian school, mind you. And, and because there's no absolute truth, let me just take this a step further. There's no such thing as right and wrong. So in the language that John uses, every spirit, lowercase s, is all valid. It's all the same. We're all speaking the same language. We're all on the same page. My God's your God, spirit, spirit. We're, 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 we essentially believe the same thing. Have you heard that before? And now this is important among many objections because when John writes this beginning part of chapter four, he is assuming an absolute truth as he writes. 
We, we can't read uh, verses 1 through 6 without realizing that John is proclaiming an absolute truth. So we have to wrap our minds around that first. Remember, the, the idea is not just to look up the objection, but to look behind that. It's same thing with the truth. We want to look at the truth, but we want to look at what's driving that truth. And what's driving John's statement in his epistle is a belief in absolute truth. And here in part, if, you're, if you face this with a friend or family member or neighbor or, or someone, here is in part how you might address this in love with a friend. Because to declare that there is absolutely, that's tough, to declare that there is no absolute truth is a statement of absolute truth. Amen. If you have a, a professor or a friend or a neighbor go, you can't tell me that there's an absolute right or an absolute wrong. That doesn't exist. It's, it's right or wrong for everybody. That's an absolute to them. That's a doctrinal statement of belief for them. Oftentimes, we just want to jump right into Jesus. Like, you need to believe in Jesus. And they want to talk about truth. And we go, hey, I don't really care about truth. We got to talk about Jesus. You need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. He died for your sins. You need to confess. Like, Time out. Let, let's address some things that, that those who are far from God can understand, and that's truth and absolutes. And we live in a culture that says, no way, no how is there any absolutes. Don't you dare put that on me. And again, that is both prevalent in and outside of the church. Woe be to us to point fingers at those outside because it exists here. And we begin to drop our bar of what Christ has called us to because we don't want to offend. And we don't want to make such absolute statements, if you would. And in love, you can turn, and I'll repeat this, in love, you can turn to that individual or that group of people late night at a college or at your workplace and say, if you are declaring there's no absolute truth, you are declaring the very thing that you're denying. Timothy Keller, uh, again, I, I bring him up on a regular basis. He is a pastor in California. Um, I read everything he writes. I believe he's an unbelievably gifted, godly man. Um, I, I believe he is uh, ordained by God, and he speaks to me as a pastor and as a godly man. And one of the things he used to do when he would preach is he would open it up, and don't get any bright ideas, we're not doing this, but he would open it up after he preached on a Sunday to Q&A for as long as it took. So we're not doing that. You can send me an email, and I'll address that. But he was talking about this as people would then push on him and question the things that he would preach. And, and, and in one of his uh, journal entries, this is what he says. One of the most frequent statements I heard was that every person has to define right and wrong for himself or herself. Well, I always responded to the speakers by asking, uh, is there anyone in the world right now doing things you believe they should stop doing no matter what they personally believe about the correctness of their behavior. They would invariably say, yes, of course. Then I would ask, doesn't that mean that you do believe there is some kind of moral reality that is there 
that is not defined by us, that must be abided by regardless of what a person feels or thinks? And almost always, the response to that question was a silence, (laughs) either a thoughtful or a grumpy one. Look, I'm I'm not trying to impress you with psychology or philosophy or theology. I'm trying to help you because a lot of us, instead of interacting with that conversation with someone who's kind of pushing back, we fold and change the subject or we fight back. I don't think God wants us to do either of those. He certainly doesn't want us to fold and walk away, but he doesn't want us to attack. The goal isn't to win a debate or an argument. If you've convinced them, you don't walk away with a W. And so I'm trying to help you to have a conversation with the people that you love. Because if we believe in right and wrong, even those who say they don't believe in right and wrong, then there has to be a basis for that right and wrong. And that basis begins with absolutes. I want you to take a picture of this. I was just going to say it, but I thought I'd just make a slide for it. It is no more absolute to assert that that, that Christianity and Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father than it is to say all religions get you to heaven and all are valuable and filled with hope. You see the absurdity? You can't say one's absurd and not say the other one's not absurd. Both initiate and present an absolute that we have to wrestle with. To say that Jesus Christ and Christianity and following Christ is a a high bar and one that is absolutely crazy and far out out there is absolutely true. But so is to say that everything gets you to heaven. Everything gets you to the Father. All the spirits are the same. We're all speaking the same language. Both take an act of faith. Everything does. And this leads us to our next objection. That, and the last one, Jesus Christ cannot be the only way. There's no way that one man can shoulder all of eternity's existence. There's no way. That's hard to believe. The objection goes like this. Jesus can be a truth, but he's not the truth. He can be your truth, but he doesn't need to be, and in fact, he isn't my truth. And anything other than accepting that conversation is considered intolerant. And John, however, in these six verses, claims the absolute opposite. I put out a social media post earlier this week, just a picture of our American flag. And I made the statement, um, I can't remember the exact wording that I said, something along the lines of our country would probably function better if we would go back to being one nation under God. 
kind of a general statement. Thinking about the faith and, and thinking about submitting underneath God. And I had a ton of lively discussion from a lot of my friends around the nation, many of whom um, um, energetically pointing out all the sins of our country that have ever been, from injustice to the Indians, to slavery, um, to anything you can formulate in your mind was given to me as kind of defense against we've never really been underneath God. And it was healthy conversations. What I was talking about is not necessarily specific events or people because we could look at the history of this world and, and poke holes in those who have submitted under God and how they haven't done it perfect. Like, we are sinful people, absolutely. However, what I was suggesting is if we were to, those who are in charge of our country, submit to God and lift him up, we might function better. In fact, I believe we absolutely would. And you probably would agree with me. The, one of the statements that I received was from a woman who said, uh, I would like a little bit more explanation. Are you referring to just your God or all gods? Again, friends, this is the conversation going on in your worlds, whether you know it or not. And I replied back, uh, both publicly and privately. My public one was very short, and I just said something lines of, respectfully, I believe there's only one true God who loved us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world, to reconcile our relationship with him. And then we had a conversation offline, because freebie here has nothing to do with the sermon. Don't debate on social media. Seriously, you, you never accomplish anything. If you, if you give a suggestion and there's pushback, take it offline. Because people don't see the heart. They don't see the mindset. They, they don't see any of that. All they see is conflict. Take that offline. So we did that. And it was really, really healthy. We ended up agreeing to disagree. One believes that there are many, many, many gods uh, that are out there. And that, if we tr and, and that person actually says, if we do submit to God whatever that is for each individual, our country would function better. And I said, I, I believe our country functions now underneath that. Many, many gods. And it functions awful. But when we talk about Jesus Christ is the only way, John states that Christianity stands and fall on this belief that there was a perfect deity and a perfect humanity in one person of Jesus who alone dies for our sins period. And that's what John is defending here in our passage this morning. And then he tells us that one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit has many purposes, but one of the purposes of the Spirit is to point us to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, to help us understand that. And so we see Jesus not as useful one of many spirits, to go back to the original verses, verses one through three, not as useful among many spirits or religious leaders, but as the savior of the world, the incarnate son of God. And again, that changes everything for us. Because how can it be said that Jesus was the only way? We're going a little bit long, I apologize. I have one more paragraph to get to. But it is really, really important for us to grasp 
Because if we believe, really believe that God exists, if you get in your car and drive away and you have an inkling of God that this God that we just spoke about does exist and we believe that he is both holy and he is loving and that humanity's biggest problem is a broken heart, is brokenness, then it makes perfect sense to believe that God would send that which was most precious for him to die for the thing that is most precious for him. That he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to save what he absolutely loves, you and me and your friends and family and your neighbors. Now, is, again, is that a leap of faith? Is that something that you would have a conversation with with your friends and family and neighbors and, and at the university and go, man, that's a giant leap? Yes, of course it is. Everything is a giant leap of faith. To believe there's no God is a giant leap of faith. Wrong. But it is an enormous leap of faith to believe that there's no such thing as God. And the second thing we believe is that Jesus is who he said he was because John's testimony is reliable. We read at the very beginning of the epistle when he says, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him. You can trust my account. Me and all my buddies, we were with this guy. You can trust me. Whether you believe that the writings are, are, are given by the Spirit of God, given to us or not, you can trust this account, this testimony, if you would, on behalf of John. It is historically reliable. If you want to do any kind of research, you can historically research Jesus Christ. And you don't even have to use the Bible. It is historically accurate. Further, John is now an old man. He's almost 90. And he's writing these three letters. And soon he's going to die for his faith. For the things he writes, for the things he speaks, he's about to die. For those things. Not die for a lie that he's going to take to the grave that he knows is wrong. But he's going to die for a truth that he knows is absolutely right. And John is saying that Jesus came in the flesh, the only deity, that he died for sin, that he is the only way. And so test the spirits, so that you know what is truth and what is falsehood. John is saying, don't just take my account. Believe what I say, but test for yourself. When you go to the university and you hear people talking and their ideas sound very well put together, they're very well spoken, they're very eloquent with their discussions, test the spirits. Because it's either undergirded by the Lord as truth or it's undergirded and supported and grounded in falsehood by Satan. And so here's your takeaway this morning. Friends, you have enormous capability because of the spirit who is in you. 
You have enormous capability because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Your capability is, is far off the chart. Not because of you, not because you're great, but because he who is in you is great. Because of the one who goes with you. Because of the one who has already gone before you. Because of the one who has your back. When everything else is crumbling around you, when you, when you feel like the, the questions are, are, are kind of falling on you and you don't have answers and, and you're looking for direction and you're looking for hope and you're looking for the next thing, he who is in you is greater than what is in this world. And you, John says, can overcome. You can overcome anger. You can overcome guilt. You can overcome temptation, bitterness, lust, greed, envy, and the list goes on and on and on because you have the spirit in you that is greater than what's in the world. And it makes all the difference. Your identity, your confidence, who you see yourself as, who the world sees you as, your assurance is not in your circumstances. It's not by a life event. It's not by a bump on the road. It's your identity is in the Lord God who made you and sent his son Jesus to die for you. It's rooted in that. It's rooted in Jesus. And God has not given you the Holy Spirit to take away all your problems, to make everything great to where you just have a wonderful day every single day. It's not the job of the Spirit. But one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is that it's been given to us to find rest and joy and assurance in Jesus Christ. And I hope, friends, that message never gets old. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we, we just, we submit to you. We want to thank you for the Holy Spirit that's been given to us how great it is to have that relationship and that counsel, that assurance, that peace, that rest. We thank you, God, that you have given us uh, a clear picture of the pathway to heaven, eternity with you, a relationship with you. We're thankful that it's, it's not just enough to just be a good person. That's more than that. It's not, it's not just enough to have uh, religious habits and characteristics in our lives. It's more than that. And so we do. We, this morning, as we launch this summer, we, we pause and we submit to the authority and the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ.
and that in that relationship and in that relationship alone our hope is found and we bring all this before the throne of you Jesus and together we say amen would you please stand